This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. In the annals of English history, the name Alfred the Great resonates with echoes of valor, wisdom, and resilience. Alfred ascended to the throne of Wessex in the year 871, inheriting a kingdom on the brink of collapse. His reign, marked by unwavering determination and strategic brilliance, earned him the epithet, The Great. Alfred's enduring legacy as the saviour of Wessex lies in his remarkable ability to transform adversity into triumph, ultimately preserving the spirit and identity of his kingdom. As the King of Wessex from the years 871 to 899, Alfred's legacy transcends his time, leaving an indelible mark on the cultural, political and intellectual foundations of England. Alfred, born into royalty, would have the enormous task of defending Wessex from the Viking invaders, who had already taken the ancient kingdoms of East Anglia and Northumbria. The neighbouring kings were dropping like flies, and it fell to Alfred to defend the last Saxon kingdom. This is his story. Alfred was born in the village of Wanting, in Berkshire in the year 849. He was the youngest of five sons, sired by King Ethelwulf of Wessex and his first wife, Osbur. As the youngest sibling, he was not groomed for kingship. His older brothers were expected to inherit the throne, leaving Alfred free to pursue his intellectual pursuits and personal interests. The lack of immediate royal responsibilities allowed him the freedom to delve into education and learning, fostering a deep love for knowledge and culture that would later define his reign. Ethelwulf, Alfred's father, was a notable warrior and had defeated the armies of Vikings on several occasions. Alfred's oldest brother was Ethelstan, who ruled as the King of Kent and was known as a fierce fighter. However, he would die before his father in the year 851. Ethelbald was the second born, and then came Ethelbert, and then Ethelred, and finally, there was Alfred. In the year 853, at the age of four, Alfred is reported by the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle to have accompanied his father King Ethelwulf to Rome, where he was confirmed by Pope Leo IV. This was a big deal at the time, as barely anyone from Alfred's lands had travelled to Europe, and meeting the Pope would have been the pilgrimage of a lifetime. However, during Alfred's return home from Rome in the year 856, Ethelwulf was deposed by his son Ethelbald and Alfred's eldest brother. Ethelbald, the eldest son of King Ethelwulf, was a prince driven by ambition. In a bold and audacious move, 
he usurped the throne from his father, sparking a period of political turmoil within Wessex. His actions, driven by a hunger for power and impatience to rule, plunged the kingdom into uncertainty. The consequences of this usurpation were far-reaching, affecting not only the political landscape, but also the lives of those close to the throne, including the young and impressionable Alfred. With civil war looming, the magnates of the realm met in council to arrange a compromise. Ethelbald would retain the western shires, and Ethelwulf would rule in the east. When King Ethelwulf died in the year 858, Wessex was claimed by Ethelbald, who has a rather negative reputation according to later chroniclers and historians. William of Malmesbury, the foremost English historian of the 12th century, wrote, Ethelbald, who was worthless and disloyal to his father, defiled his father's marriage bed, for after his father's death, he sank so low as to marry his stepmother Judith. However, Judith may have done this to avoid the usual fate of widows being sent to a convent. To Ethelbald, this marriage was advantageous because of Judith's belonging to the Carolingian dynasty, which would allow him to enhance his status, placing him above his brothers. Ethelwulf's youngest son, Alfred, was a witness to the chaos that ensued after Ethelbald's power grab. These formative years were marked by instability, fear, and uncertainty. Living in the shadow of a usurping brother, Alfred was exposed to the harsh realities of court politics from a young age. The familial discord and the struggle for power would have had a profound impact on his worldview, instilling in him a deep sense of caution, resilience, and determination. Nevertheless, little is known about Ethelbald's reign, and he only lasted on the throne for two years, and he fathered no children leaving the throne to his younger brother Ethelbert in the year 860. When Alfred's older brother Ethelbert ascended to the throne, Alfred would have been around 12 years old, and the new king would appear to be on good terms with his two younger brothers, Ethelred and Alfred. The reign of Ethelbert unfolded against a backdrop of relentless Viking invasions that posed a grave threat to the stability of Wessex. These raids tested the mettle of the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms, demanding strategic acumen and military prowess. Additionally, internal dynastic struggles within Wessex added another layer of complexity to Ethelbert's rule. As he navigated these challenges, the young Alfred observed firsthand the pressures and responsibilities of kingship. Ethelbert's reign began and ended with raids by Vikings. In the year 860, a Viking army sailed from the Somme to England and sacked Winchester, but they were defeated by the men of Hampshire and Berkshire. Probably in the autumn of the year 864, another Viking army camped on Thanet and were promised money in return for peace, but they broke their promise and ravaged eastern Kent. These attacks were minor, compared with events after Ethelbert's death, which would result in the whole of England being overran 
by the great heathen army. Ethelbert died of unknown causes in the autumn of the year 865. He was buried at Sherborne Abbey in Dorset, beside his brother Ethelbald, and was succeeded by his younger brother Ethelred. Three of Alfred's older brothers had now died childless, and the reigns of his older brothers had moulded him into a man. Alfred would have been around 16 years old when his older brother Ethelred took the crown, and although his brother would prove to be a capable ruler, the threat the whole of England faced was something that had not been seen since the time of the Romans. Previously, the country had suffered from sporadic raids, but now it faced invasion, aiming at conquest and settlement. A large force of Vikings, called by contemporaries the Great Heathen Army, arrived in East Anglia. The Ragnarsons had arrived in the country and were seeking revenge in Northumbria for the death of their father, Ragnar Lothbrok. The Ragnarsons consisted of Ubba, Ivar the Boneless, Sigurd Snake in the Eye, Bjorn Ironside, and Halfdan, all capable and legendary warriors commanding their own armies. King Edmund purchased a peace by paying tribute to the Vikings, and they would stay a year in East Anglia, building up their strength. The Vikings then made their way to York and conquered Northumbria, installing a puppet king. Sigurd and Bjorn Ragnarsson would go back to their own kingdoms after the fall of Northumbria. Meanwhile, Ivar, Ubba and Halfdan would remain burning and pillaging. Ivar the Boneless had just put an end to the line of kings in Northumbria, and he and his great pagan army were on the move south with the intention to take Mercia as their own. In the year 867, they took Nottingham in Mercia and spent the winter there. King Buchred of Mercia appealed to King Ethelred of Wessex for help. Ethelred and Alfred led a large West Saxon army to Nottingham and besieged the Vikings, but the Vikings refused to leave the safety of the town's defences. The combined Mercian and Wessex armies were unable to breach the earth's ramparts and ditch. Eventually, Bugred bought the Vikings off. The Vikings then went back to York. In the year 869, the Norsemen returned to East Anglia and conquered the kingdom, killing King Edmund. Two out of the four great kingdoms of England had now fallen. However, Ivar the Boneless would go north with his contingent of the great heathen army, leaving command to his brothers, Halfdan and Ubba, and the Danish warlord named Guthrum. During Ethelred's reign, Alfred participated in the war effort against the Vikings. This hands-on experience provided him with valuable military skills and tactical knowledge. He learnt the art of warfare, strategic planning, and the importance of adaptability in the face of a relentless enemy. The battles between the Great Heathen Army and the Wessex rulers were marked by extraordinary ferocity, strategic brilliance, and a determination that would shape the fate of a nation. 
King Ethelred, confronted with this unprecedented threat, displayed remarkable defiance. He marshaled his forces, fortified towns, and engaged the great heathen army in a series of fierce battles. The intensity of these confrontations mirrored the high stakes. The very survival of Wessex and its culture hung in the balance. Ethelred's determination and bravery in face of overwhelming odds inspired his people and showcased the resilience of the Anglo-Saxon spirit. At the end of the year 870, the Vikings attempted to conquer Wessex and made their way from East Anglia to Reading. On the 4th of January, King Ethelred of Wessex and Prince Alfred would meet the Vikings with a Saxon army and fought their way into the town, slaughtering all the Danes outside. This would culminate in the Battle of Reading on the 4th of January in the year 871. When Ethelred's army would reach the town gate, the Vikings under the command of Halfdan Ragnarsson would burst out of the gates, creating a counter-attack, completely slaughtering the Saxons. The level of carnage was immense, and King Ethelred and Prince Alfred barely escaped the battlefield with their lives, only escaping due to their better knowledge of the local terrain, which allowed them to lose their Viking pursuers by crossing the river Ludden. Their surviving forces regrouped at Windsor, and four days later, Ethelred and Alfred would lead their forces again in the Battle of Ashdown. The Vikings would arrive first and deployed themselves at the top of the ridge, giving them the advantage. They then divided their forces into two contingents, one under Ivar's brother King Halfdan, and another under the Viking Earls. Alfred sent scouts, who reported this back to him, and Ethelred and himself decided to copy the Viking formation, with Ethelred facing King Halfdan's force, and Alfred's forces would face the other. Before the battle, King Ethelred would retire to his tent for mass, whilst Alfred rallied his men and led his forces to the battlefield. Both the Vikings and the Saxons formed a shield wall and approached one another. Alfred, knowing the enemy had the advantage, decided to attack and led his men in a charge up the hill. The two armies would collide and the battle would rage on until Ethelred then also led a charge. This would result in a Saxon victory. Ethelred and Alfred would then pursue the Vikings in a blood rage, cutting down all fleeing their wrath, until night fell upon them. Alfred was quickly gaining a repute as a savage warrior and a mighty leader of men. However, the victory was short-lived. Two weeks later, Ethelred and Alfred were defeated at the royal estate of Basing in the Battle of Basing. Despite facing devastating defeats and the loss of significant territories, Wessex did not yield. The resistance of Ethelred, Alfred and their people was unmatched. However, it was at the Battle of Merton on the 22nd of March in the year 871 where the Vikings turned the tide of the war. Bishop Haymond was killed, as were many important men. 
and after this battle, a great summer army came to Reading. Afterwards, at Easter, King Ethered died. It has been widely speculated by historians that Ethelred died from the wounds he acquired over the many back-to-back -back battles he was involved in against the Vikings. The deaths of Alfred's four older brothers, Ethelstan, Ethelbald, Ethelbert and Ethelred, left him as the sole surviving heir to the throne of Wessex. The hopes and expectations of the Wessex dynasty rested solely upon Alfred's shoulders. As the last remaining heir, he was expected not only to continue the lineage, but also defend the kingdom against Viking incursions and internal strife. This immense pressure, coupled with the awareness and challenges faced by his predecessors, compelled Alfred to mature swiftly, developing a keen understanding of the complexities of leadership. The loss of his brothers became a crucible in which Alfred's character was forged, witnessing the fragility of life and the impermanence of power. He internalised the importance of resilience, determination and adaptability. These experiences fostered in him a sense of duty towards his people, a commitment to defending his kingdom and an unwavering resolve to leave a lasting legacy. His brother Ethelred, however, left behind two underage sons after his death, Ethelhelm and Ethelwold. Ethelred and Alfred had made an agreement earlier that the surviving brother of the battles would be king. Alfred's ascension to the throne went uncontested, as they needed a man and a leader to lead them through many dark and uncertain days. While Alfred was busy with the burial ceremonies for his brother, the Danes defeated the Saxon army in his absence at an unnamed spot, and then again in his presence at Wilton in May. The defeat at Wilton left Alfred hopeless. How could he remove these Vikings from his lands? He was forced instead to make a peace with them, according to sources that do not tell what the terms of the peace were. Although not mentioned by Asa, or by the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, Alfred probably paid the Vikings silver to leave. For the next five years, the Danes occupied other parts of England, and in the year 874, the Vikings overran Mercia and drove its king Buchred into exile, where he went to Rome and would never return to the British Isles. The Vikings then installed the puppet king Seolwulf demanding oaths of loyalty from the new king. Following this victory, the great heathen army again split. Halfdan went north to fight against the Picts of Strathclyde, while Guthrum and Ubba continued fighting in Wessex. In the year 876, under their new leader Guthrum, the Danes slipped past the Saxon army and attacked and occupied Wareham in Dorset. Alfred blockaded them, but was unable to take Wareham by assault. He then negotiated a peace, which involved an exchange of hostages and oaths, which the Danes swore on a holy ring associated with the worship of Thor. However, the Danes broke their word, and after killing all the hostages, slipped away 
under the cover of night. However, many Viking ships had been scattered by a storm, and the Danes were forced to submit and withdraw to Mercia. Guthrum, however, would come up with a cunning plan. In January of the year 878, the Danes made a sudden attack on Chippenham, a royal stronghold in which Alfred had been staying over Christmas. Alfred's personal guard were killed, and he barely escaped with his life. In the face of this devastating loss, Alfred made a strategic decision that would prove pivotal. He retreated to the marshes of Somerset, a region of natural fortifications and strategic advantage. From this secure base, he meticulously reorganized his forces, implementing military reforms and instilling a sense of discipline and unity among his loyal troops. This period of retreat became a transformative experience for Alfred, offering him the opportunity to reflect, strategize, and emerge as a more resilient and strategic leader. However, Guthrum's successful siege and capture of Chippenham in the heart of Wessex sent shockwaves throughout the kingdom. The loss of a major stronghold struck at the very core of Alfred's realm, leaving his people in a state of fear and uncertainty. Wessex was pushed to the brink. With the Viking threat looming large, many began to question the ability of their young king to protect and defend their homeland. A legend originating from 12th century chroniclers tell how when Alfred first fled to the Somerset levels, Alfred was given shelter by a peasant woman who, unaware of his identity, left him to watch some Wheaton cakes she had left cooking on the fire. Preoccupied with the problems of his kingdom, Alfred accidentally let the cakes burn and was scolded by the woman upon her return. Alfred, now the king of nothing, had not been told off like that since he was a child, and it brought him some joy. The year 878 was the low mark in the history of the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms, with all the other kingdoms having fallen to the Vikings. Wessex alone was resisting, but with Alfred in exile in the marshes and no resources, the future of Wessex and England was unclear. Nevertheless, news had reached Alfred on the death of two Ragnarsons. Ubba had been slain at the Battle of Kernwit by the Elderman of Devon, Odder, which was a huge blow to the Vikings. In addition, Halfdan had been slain in Dublin in the year 877 by his nephew Bardur Iverson. It seems Halfdan was campaigning to regain his brother Ivar's lost crown in Dublin, but ended up being killed in the Battle of Strangford Lau by his own kin. The death of these two legendary commanders would give Alfred some hope. It was in this moment of solitude and reflection that Alfred resolved to take a bold step to emerge from his hiding and rally his men for a decisive stand against the Viking invaders. Egbert's stone held historical significance, as it was named after King Egbert, Alfred's grandfather, who had united many Anglo-Saxon kingdoms under his rule. 
choosing this site to summon his men, carried a powerful symbolism. It invoked the spirit of unity and the legacy of Wessex's past glory. By gathering at Egbert's stone, Alfred intended to remind his men of their shared heritage, their ancestral unity, and the importance of defending their homeland against foreign invaders. In May, Alfred rode to Egbert's stone, where he was met by all the people of Somerset, Wiltshire, and Hampshire, and they rejoiced to see their king. When Alfred emerged from his hiding, and called upon his men to gather at Egbert's stone, his words resonated with a sense of urgency, determination, and hope. He spoke of the resilience of the Anglo-Saxon people, their shared history, and the need to reclaim their homeland from the Vikings. Alfred's unwavering resolve and eloquence inspired his men, instilling in them a newfound determination to fight for their kingdom and their way of life. Alfred had retained the loyalty of the Eldermen, Royal Reeves, and King Stens, who had maintained their positions of authority in their lands by not submitting to the Vikings, and would answer Alfred's summons to war. This upcoming battle would decide the fate of Wessex and England, as if the Saxons lost, then the whole of England would be in the hands of the Viking invaders. According to Brother Asser, who wrote a biography of Alfred, this is what transpired. Fighting ferociously, forming a dense shield wall against the whole army of the pagans, and striving long and bravely, at last, Alfred gained the victory. He overthrew the pagans with a great slaughter, and smiting the fugitives, he pursued them as far as the fortress. Alfred pursued the Danes to their stronghold at Chippenham, and starved them into submission. One of the terms of the surrender was that Guthrum convert to Christianity. Three weeks later, the Danish chief Guthrum and 29 of his men were baptised at Alfred's court, with Alfred receiving Guthrum as his spiritual son. The Battle of Eddington ended in a resounding victory for Alfred and the Anglo-Saxons. Guthrum and his Viking forces were decisively defeated, resulting in the signing of the Treaty of Wedmore. The treaty established clear boundaries between the Anglo-Saxon and Viking territories, bringing a temporary halt to the Viking invasions and securing Wessex from immediate threats. Alfred's victory at Eddington allowed him to consolidate his power, fortify his kingdom, and lay the foundation for the eventual unification of England under Wessex's rule. Thus began the quiet years of Alfred's reign. Alfred built up the defences of his kingdom to ensure that it was not threatened by the Danes again. He reorganised his army and built a series of well-defended settlements across southern England. He also established a navy for use against the Danish raiders, who continued to harass the coast. As an administrator, 
Alfred advocated justice and order, and established a code of laws. He had a strong belief in the importance of education, and learnt Latin in his late thirties. He then arranged, and himself took part in, the translation of books from Latin to Anglo-Saxon. In the year 886, Alfred reoccupied the city of London. Alfred entrusted the city to the care of his son-in-law Ethelred, the Elderman of Mercia, who had married his daughter Ethelfled, who would later go on to be known as the Lady of Mercia. During this period, almost all chroniclers agree that the Saxon people of pre-unified England submitted to Alfred. This was not, however, the point at which Alfred came to become known as the King of England. In fact, he would never adopt the title for himself, even though he was the king of all the land, in all but name. Alfred's unwavering determination, and his ability to inspire his people, earned him the title King of the Anglo-Saxons. His diplomatic prowess and military successes gradually led to the unification of the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms under the banner of Wessex. Through alliances, strategic marriages, and his reputation as a just and wise ruler, Alfred created a sense of shared identity among the Anglo-Saxon realms. Alfred the Great's legacy as the King of the Anglo-Saxons is a testament to his visionary leadership, political astuteness, and unwavering dedication to his people. His reign not only repelled external threats, but also sowed the seeds of unity and cultural identity, shaping the course of English history. Alfred's achievements as a statesman, military leader, and patron of learning have left an indelible mark on the identity of the English nation, making him not just a king, but a revered architect of united England. Alfred died on the 26th of October in the year 899, at the age of 51. How he died is unknown, although he suffered throughout his life with a painful and unpleasant illness. King Alfred was a great man portrayed here in a quote by Bishop Asser. He was superior to all of his brothers, both in wisdom and in all good habits, and furthermore, because he was warlike beyond measure and victorious in almost all battles. Although Alfred was troubled by health problems throughout his life, statues of Alfred in Winchester and Wantage portray him as a great warrior. However, evidence suggests that he was not your traditional tall hulking warrior and had bouts where he would fall ill, but this wouldn't hold him back and he never lacked in courage and fought alongside his men, which if anything, makes him that much greater. The Viking raids during the 9th century, spearheaded by legendary figures like the Ragnarsons, posed a threat to the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms, including Alfred's Wessex. These invaders, driven by conquest and plunder, left a trail of destruction in their wake challenging the survival for the English way of life. In the face of such dire circumstances, 
Alfred emerged as the unyielding guardian of his people, determined to repel the Viking invaders and preserve the future of England. Alfred was also extremely lucky, as Halfdan and Ubba would die unexpectedly. Nevertheless, Alfred's resolve was the same, and he would live or die fighting. Alfred the Great's legacy, as the saviour of England from the Vikings, is a testament to his heroic resolve and the enduring impact on the nation's history. His ability to navigate the most challenging of circumstances, defeat legendary foes, and unite his people in the face of adversity, cemented his reputation as one of England's greatest monarchs. Alfred's legacy continues to inspire generations, serving as a reminder of the power of courage, determination, and leadership in safeguarding a nation's future. Upon Alfred's death, his son Edward the Elder would take the crown. However, the power struggle that ensued after the death of Alfred the Great was a tumultuous period in English history. It revealed the challenges of succession, the complexities of internal politics, and the persistent threats posed by external adversaries. However, it also demonstrated the resilience of the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms and the eventual emergence of a unified England. The struggles and triumphs of this period laid the foundation for the strong centralised monarchy that would characterise medieval England, leaving a lasting legacy of political stability and national unity. I hope you all enjoyed the video. If you did, be sure to like, subscribe and share, and I'll see you all soon for another History Profile.